Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 92, with Tal Lemming. Welcome to episode 92 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today's guest is an LSU graduate, graphic designer, coder, and most notably, a type designer. Originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, he now resides in Baltimore, Maryland, and has created typefaces for brands such as Adidas, Bloomberg Business Week, GQ, Reebok, Tiffany & Company, Dick's Sporting Goods, Wired Magazine, the United States Soccer Federation, and many, many more. He has worked agency side and at the typeface foundry House Industries, and currently he runs his own company, Type Supply, where he is commissioned to create custom typefaces for brands, as well as his own typefaces that can be purchased online at certain font retailers. His work is present globally in just about every aspect of the sports design industry through a typeface that you're most likely aware of, United. In addition to creating typefaces, he is involved in the technology side of type, co-authoring the web open font format specification that was recommended by the World Wide Web Consortium, or you may have heard of it as W3C. And he has developed several digital tools for typeface designers. I'm very happy to welcome Tao Lemming of Type Supply to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today, Tao. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So Tal, at this point of the show, I really like to give guests an opportunity to uh, just tell a little bit of their story and give kind of a bird's eye view of their career. You know, how did they get into creativity or the creative business? And so if you can kind of do that, give us a bird's eye view and, and then we can go in depth a little more later into the conversation. But tell us a little bit of your story you know, how you got this love of design and art, you know, most of us start in art in general and what eventually led to type supply. It's, it's hard to say where there was a start because I don't remember it ever starting. It was just always there. I, I was the weird kid who, um, uh, when I was like 10 was hand drawing business cards for myself that listed myself as an artist. Um, even though I had no idea what that meant or who I was going to give the business cards to, or that I didn't have to draw every single business card by hand myself. Um, so I've just always made stuff. I've always drawn. I, I've always just chased those things. Um, and I wanted to be uh, a painter or an artist. I had no real idea what that meant. Um, and then I, I, I learned about uh, animation and decided that I, I wanted to do that and specifically be an, an animator at Disney. That was around when I was like 13. Um, and I became really obsessed with it and read as much as I could. And uh, LSU had this really great uh, leisure class that you could take in the evenings on animation. I did that. And that really sort of set me off into this idea that I could be paid to make things. And uh, when I was 14, I got a job as an animator um, doing animation for uh, industrial training films. 
um, which I was woefully unqualified for that. Um, and it just sort of went from there. I, I, I discovered graphic design, uh, switched my major from painting to that, and LSU had some really wonderful teachers. And uh, in my freshman year, I, I discovered, well, so I was working for the university and as a graphic designer in uh, one of the departments, and I was the youngest uh, designer there. And so I was given the oldest computer, which was an original Mac with an external uh, RAM drive, uh, not external hard drive, external RAM drive, because it was so old. Yeah. And um, <laughs> there, there was a piece of software on it called Fontographer. And the office, like most university communications offices, uh, we had no budget for anything. Um, but we were tired of using, you know, this was 1993, and we were tired of the fonts that came with the Mac. Um, but we, we, we didn't have any money to buy them. And so I was like, oh, well, I found this thing on this computer that I have to use called Fontographer. So apparently I can make fonts. And so I started doing that, not knowing that that was a thing. And uh, it just kind of went from there. I, I really fell in love with typography. Um, and then when I graduated, uh, I kind of stopped doing it. I, I still drew in my sketchbooks and all, but I became a full-time graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I really wanted to do was to keep drawing letters. I, I just really loved that. And um, eventually, uh, well, one of the first typefaces I had done, I, I, I sent uh, it and several others to uh, this brand new company called House Industries, who uh, had these really crazy mailers. And I, um, I wrote them a letter and I said, you should sell my fonts. They're awesome. They were not. <laughs> and I was, I was living on my own um, in an apartment. Uh, I didn't have a long distance calling plan. So I couldn't make long distance calls. Uh, but I, I had like this really old answering machine. And uh, I came home from class one day and there was this phone call uh, from this guy at House Industries saying that he wanted to talk to me about my fonts. I couldn't call him back because I couldn't afford it. Uh, so I sprinted to the university, which was like two miles away, to the office I worked in and hid in a back room and called, which I'm sure my degree will now be revoked for. Um, I called and they were like, yeah, your typefaces are terrible, but there's this one that you set the text of the letter in. We want that one. And that, that actually was the first one I made. And uh, so that started up a relationship with them. And we would write to each other every now and then, um, mostly me asking how many copies of my typeface they had sold and them replying none <laughs> uh, and but they were always very polite about it they were like sales are slow which yeah. is code for there there have been none um and so my wife and i we we were on vacation in uh, washington dc and we thought oh well house industries is in delaware let's drive up and just see them one thing one miscommunication led to another they I left there with a project to do, my first typeface in like six years, I think. 
Uh, and then they ended up offering me a job. I became a full-time typeface designer, um, and now I do this. So that's that's pretty much it. It's been one long continuum. <laughs> how did you hear about House Industries back then? Because didn't he, I mean, I got their book, um, and like, weren't they like a des- brand design company? Yeah, or something? yeah, they still technically are. They're brand design company. Um, oh, it's like their corporate name is brand design. Yeah, company. yeah, they, they DBA House Industries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so they were um, a graphic design firm, a really good one, and uh, they were drawing lettering for some of their work, and they decided this was '93, and. Uh, you know, the, this was the beginning of when individual designers could make typefaces themselves. Um, before the Mac came along, it required a team of people. Um, and then uh, Emigre, um, they were sort of the first, uh, the first independent foundry that really pushed the idea of you don't have to be a big company uh, to make uh, uh, typefaces at four graphic designers and Susanna um, Lichko uh, there, especially she she pioneered all this. And House, uh, well, brand design company, the three guys there saw what Susanna was doing and they were like, "Oh, that's a great idea." And so they started doing. They they made this little mailer that they sent out um, saying. Uh, we have these typefaces for sale, none of which actually existed. They were just lettering on the postcard. Um, that, I think I saw that. Um, one of my professors got it uh, at, at LSU, and I stole it from him. Um, I've apologized to him many times, so it's okay now. Uh, but, yeah, I stole it from him, and that's how I found out about him. It was just this crazy little card catalog thing that, that was printed with like overlapping metallic inks. It was really weird. Um, at the time, it was really weird. Now, it's, we'd look at it and be like, yeah, that's boring. Um, but at the time, it was pretty earth-shattering. Right. I, I think that's how I discovered them, too. Probably like a subscription to... I don't know, print magazine maybe or something, and they maybe had some ads in there. Um, and that's that seems to be, they're really good at marketing. And, and I definitely want to get into that. Uh, before we move forward, there's a lot of people that listen to this. They're obviously, being, this being makers of sport, there are a lot of graphic designers that listen to this show. But there are some people that listen that are maybe sports marketers or sports information directors or even just general sports-related tech entrepreneurs. So just for those types of people and, and graphic designers, I'm expecting you to know this answer. Um, but for the people that don't understand what the differences are, can you explain the difference between a typeface and a font? Uh, there really isn't one. So is, so, but I've heard kind of the, that, so the typeface is the actual art. It's the actual thing. And then the font is a soft piece of software. Right, because you can't trademark. To my understanding, you can't trademark a typeface, but you can trademark a font because it is software. Well, I'm being a bit facetious by saying there's there's not really one. I'm I um so there's I'm gonna get this wrong, and I'm gonna have half of my friends email me and tell me I got this wrong. <laughs> so so a font so the the terms come from a long time ago when when they were actual little pieces of metal. A font was an individual style. So it was like, um, Caslon at 12 point. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a font. 
the typeface was the overall idea of the thing. It was Caslon in sizes 12 to 48. Um, and the font was the, an individual member of that. When, when the computer came along, it got really messy because the terminology got messed up. Like we still have the term letting, uh, in our software, which has no bearing whatsoever on what we do anymore, but we have these archaic terms. Um, so the word font and typeface are used pretty interchangeably now. Um, I, I, when, when people ask me what I do for a living, um, I say, I usually say I'm a designer because that invokes the fewest questions possible. Um, (laughs) and, and then every now and then somebody will say, uh, well, what do you design? And I, I say, Oh, um, I, I make typefaces and that usually gets a very puzzled look. And then I say, okay, all right, you know, when you're in Microsoft word and you pick a font, to change the way the text looks. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, I make fonts. And then their response is, uh, you made the fonts in Microsoft Word. And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't make those fonts. I make other fonts. And, um, and then they're like, people actually buy those? And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, so I use the two terms interchangeably. Um, I prefer the term typeface. Um, because font to me seems, and it's just because I know that the history of it, that, that it's that, that single member of a family is the font. Um, so I say typeface generally, but I'm, it doesn't really matter that much to me. So how did you, you know, you graduated with your BFA in graphic design, you go work at a couple of agencies and then you kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, obviously in our kind of bird's eye view, but when it comes to designing type, you know, you messed around with this program in school, but how did you learn how to truly design type? Because it's not, I can't imagine that, you know, back then the internet was not obviously what it is today. You can't just go to like YouTube tutorials and stuff. So be it the software or drawing different letter forms or other aspects of type design, how did you learn to officially, if you will, become a type designer being at an agency and then moving forward? It was, it was tough. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it now, it, it was really hard to figure out uh, because there there aren't any book or there weren't at the time any books. There were a couple that that of pretty old books that talked about the process as it related to uh, metal, like how uh, you would draw f- and and make things that had to work as as little pieces of metal that work together. So that helped me understand a bit, but on the computer, it was just trial and error and making really, really bad stuff for years. Um, and then, then when I went to House Industries, um, Ken Barber is there, and he's, he's just the greatest letterer working um, in America. He's, he's phenomenal. Um, I learned a ton about just making drawings that look good from him, like how to make a curve that looks really smooth, which is pretty hard with, with Bezier curves. Anybody who's used the pen tool in Illustrator knows it's just a nightmare um, to try to get something that looks really smooth. And, and right. Ken is just so good at that. And 
he would look at my drawings and just say, that's lumpy, that's lumpy, that's lumpy. You got to fix it. It's lumpy. And so I learned from him and, 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 uh, my friend, uh, Christian Schwartz, who's a great typeface designer. He, he, uh, was learning a lot at the same time, um, but in different, in a different environment. Um, so he would, would give me comments like, try this, try this, try this, just in terms of like how to think about the typeface. Cause like the, the, the thing about a typeface is it's not just the drawings of letters. It's really an overall system. Um, the drawings have to look good, but more importantly, they have to work together um, because no one's really paying attention to what the lowercase a looks like. It has to look like a lowercase a and have a certain feeling to it but that's it. it. It shouldn't do any more than that. Um, and so Christian was really, really, really great at helping me understand uh, how, to, how to look at the bigger picture of it all. But for most of my generation of type designers, we're all self-taught. Um, now there are schools that teach it. Um, there's a great one in The Hague, um, one in France, one in England, um, in uh, the U.S., uh, there's one in New York, one in San Francisco, uh, and then a lot of schools have like classes on it. But yeah, for us, we just we just made a lot of really bad stuff, as can be seen uh, in the typefaces of the 1990s. Uh, that was just us trying to figure out how to do this thing. So essentially, you went to House Industries as a graphic designer, kind of designing the mailers and things that we were talking about earlier. And as a byproduct of that, being around these people that make these great fonts, that's sort of where you got your education. Yeah, yeah. So I was a graphic designer in, in Baton Rouge, and I had a really great job um, with a boss I really loved. And um, But I was kind of burnt out on graphic design. And um, I... This thing happened at house where they ended up offering me a job and uh i i made a deal with them i said look i'm i'm really burnt out on graphic design um but they needed somebody to come in and do graphic design uh for the catalogs and, and all that stuff and i said i'll do it but let me also make typefaces and they were they were totally cool with that um and that's what they wanted me to do uh, so i really just negotiated what they wanted um, because I'm a masterful negotiator. And uh, so while I was there, I was doing the catalogs and and basically all the graphic design um, or almost all of it uh, during my tenure. And uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I have um, uh, issues with delegating. Uh, <laughs> which is to say I'm really bad at delegating. So uh, yeah, I, I can, I can empathize. <laughs> so it went from graphic design was supposed to be half of what I did there to me just being like, Oh, just give that to me. I'll do it. And that became everything that I did. And I was working on the typefaces that I needed for house at night and on weekends so that I could do the graphic design during the day. So yeah, it got, it got a little, weird and messy and it was all totally my fault <laughs> but but yeah so that's that's actually why I left house was because I realized that was the only way I was going to be able to focus on on being a typeface designer was if I I 
didn't have any more distractions. Gotcha. And it was very scary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I'd, I definitely want to get into that as well, just because you, you kind of have this sort of entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, but we know one thing about house that I want to talk about is they kind of seem, I'm a huge, first of all, I'm a huge fan of house industries. I pre-ordered their book on many of their typefaces and possibly like you pre-house, I hoard a lot of their print collateral. (laughs) I still um, do. Yeah. Yeah. But they're kind of one of these foundries that do a really good job in my opinion of marketing and branding themselves. Uh, and, and you know, it's not even necessarily that everything looks the same, but they sort of like tell their story really well. And, and it really seems like a fun place to work. And I think honestly, uh, type design or type foundries can kind of come off a little pretentious in some aspects and, and, uh, you know, some areas and, and it's, and obviously typography is very important. Um, but you know, I mean, sometimes you watch interviews and, and to the, you know, Johnny consumer, consumer, they don't really care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's just yeah. it's just a reality. Um, so I'm curious, and I, you you actually seem really down to earth as well from our our conversations, uh, our interviews, or, or from watching your past interviews, and uh, even the sort of tone of your website language, so to speak. Uh, so I'm curious, like your time from House Industries was this was that like a culture? Was there is there culture like that? I mean, is it sort of just down to earth and I mean, it seems like it is. And were you able to, is that, were you always like that? Or was that something that you took from you kind of uh, to your own business as well? Like how did they set you on your path to becoming like an entrepreneur? Um, And and like, what did they do for you as being a creative in terms of like philosophy is concerned, not like the actual what? So, so there's a bit of a mystique with house and I hate to, I don't want to reveal too many of their their secrets um, because it is ultimately a, a job. Um, like there's definitely a method to the madness, and everyone who's there is brilliant. Um, so I don't want to like reveal too much of how things get done behind the scenes. Um, so I'll just do at a high level. So basically, there's there's a vision there um, of this is what we're going to make. And usually it comes, and it, of course it's been, uh, I think it's been 12 years since I left house. So it could be totally different, but I think it's still the same. Um, the, the vision typically comes from Andy and Andy will say, okay, I'm interested in this thing right now. And it could be something like, uh, like the hot rods, um, or, uh, modern furniture it it can his taste is really really exceptional and he gets really really deeply into whatever he's interested in and and the the projects that come out of house are tied to that so like when uh we did neutraface that was largely because andy was really into uh mid-century modern architecture at the time so there's a, a defining vision there. There's, a, there's, this is what we're going to do. And it may not be a specific thing, but it's, this is our focus now. Um, so we all just sort of fell in love with mid-century architecture and, and furniture design and all of that. And it, it just sort of consumed us. And then it just 
sort of comes out of you. Uh, it's, it's almost like you, you absorb all of this stuff that you're interested in and it can't help, but then come out in your work. Um, the thing that, that sort of the mystique of house is it looks like a really fun place to work and it is, but it's also a tremendous amount of work. Uh, it's, it's a really, when your customers are graphic designers, uh, your graphic design has to be beyond perfect. Otherwise, otherwise graphic designers will ignore it. Uh, graphic designers have a a built in BS detector, um, for, uh, they, for marketing, um, we're hard to market to because we know the tricks. Um, we know, okay, I'm being not necessarily manipulated, but somebody's telling me to look at this thing. So I'm going to ignore them. There's also a certain rebellion to us all. Um, so that was that, that part of working at house is very, very tricky. Making a catalog, uh, that, is going to go to, I don't know, at the time it was like 60,000 graphic designers. Um, we couldn't do the same things over and over and over again because they would, the designers would just start ignoring it. And when they start ignoring it, you know, because font sales stop. Right. And um, so the catalogs were sort of, the, the process became to make the, the catalogs different every time because we had to. Um, and that was one of my things when I was there was just, okay, how different can we make everything? How can we give everything as much of its own voice as, as possible? And its own, like I used to think about it as, as like an, an entire universe. Like the, there's a, there's a world, a universe that the Neutraface marketing exists in. Um, and there are certain assets and and colors and, and just overall tone of the copywriting, all that stuff goes in and, and sort of forms that world that it lives in. And that was a really, that, that changed me a lot. Uh, because like I I said, I was interested in animation growing up. So I had thought about these, uh, thought about communication in terms of stories and, um, just like, all these little things working together to, to, to make a, a bigger thing. Um, and house is really about that. Uh, so much of what they do is just detail, detail, detail. And it takes just a tremendous amount of work. Like those catalogs, we would work on those catalogs for five, six months. Easy. Like just mm-hmm. every day working on those. And, it, it just became this process of just being relentless. And Andy is uh, the hardest art director I, I've ever worked with, which um, uh, you can beep this. Uh, Andy one time came over uh, and, and uh, looked at something and his criticism was, that looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. Like there was nothing else. It was, and I'm just sitting there like, all right, where do I go from that? Right. And, and that's the thing with house. Um, I guess that is sort of the, 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 the sleight of hand trick that house does is they work really, really hard, really, really, really hard. And outside of that, they're, they're 
really wonderful people and they're all goofy and, and pleasant. And, uh, so that comes through in the work. So it does look very playful, but behind the scenes, it is, it's, it's pretty rigorous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think, I think, uh, you know, if you look at a lot, a lot of agencies, uh, just to use an example that are creating really interesting work, it tends to be, that way inside there as well. It's just, it's hard work. I mean, in order to be a good creative and put out good creative work, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of, you know, just kind of beating yourself up <laughs> to get these right things. I've always found it fascinating that designers and, and people who do the kind of kinds of things that we do, we get this image of being playful and goofy and not working hard. And it's like, Man, I, yesterday was a Sunday, and I worked. I think yesterday I worked nine hours. And, yeah, and well, you know another thing with creative people uh, is we tend to have uh, depression a lot more and stuff like that because we, yeah, you know, yeah. we're, we're beating ourselves up. And I actually yeah. read about like Michelangelo. I mean, this guy wrote a letter to his brother. Uh, or I'm pretty sure it was him, and he was talking about how he was going to like kill himself because yeah, his life yeah. was a failure. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this guy painted the Sistine Chapel. Like, <laughs> and that was the, that was the thing that, that that just really blew me away when I was at House when I first got there. Graphic designers are mean, <laughs> and it 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 really shocked me. We would get catalogs mailed back to us and marked up with corrections. <laughs> Oh man, I can't. I didn't even think about that, but I, I can was, totally see that. I can see that. At, at first, I was like, "Oh my god, this is horrible!" Now I'm gonna hate myself. And then by the end, I was looking forward to it, and and uh, I was. I eventually realized, I was like, "Oh, we're just a punching bag at this point. Like we we get to be the thing that people get to be mad at because." We have jobs that are often very frustrating and, and we can see things and we have all this experience and our clients don't have that same perspective and it can drive us crazy when we're trying to tell our clients, this is going to communicate better for you. This is going right. to get your message across better and they just won't listen and they say, you know, make my picture bigger. Um, right, uh, well, and I think it's interesting too if you go read these com read comment sections of of graphic design blogs, um, brand new. Let's just say, yeah, say yeah. brand new. I mean, a lot of them are just trolls. Oh and yeah, it's yeah. like let's just look at you know let's because for me, I I love accepting feedback, but it also has to come in my opinion from somebody that's remotely at least competent right right in their work and so when and you know sometimes there might be an obvious thing that you just didn't see i'm not saying that a person that is not better than you can't give you feedback but there might be an instance where you know there might be something that you didn't see and they saw and they just had an idea and you're like oh that's it that's perfect but right. when you go to these blogs and you have these like faceless avatars just ripping stuff and it's just like come on man we we used to get um there there was one particular magazine that we run ads in and once a year, they would, it was a, a graphic design magazine. Um, I won't name it. Uh, they would, in I think like half of the issues that they mailed out, there would be a survey in it asking the reader 
to critique the advertisements in <laughs> the publication. And then they would compile the responses and then send them to the advertisers. And it was like Christmas every time we would get those. It was just the greatest thing ever. <laughs> because I remember I did this one ad that was really ugly. It looked like a light bright. And it was on purpose. We didn't have anything new to, to promote at the time. Mm-hmm. And so the default was, if we don't have anything new to promote, just pump the, the website address. Just get people to go to the website. So I did this ad that was just in bright fluorescent colors on a, on a black background. And it was just houseindustries.com, houseindustries.com, houseindustries.com. And the, the, the comments about that ad were so funny. And there was one that I will never forget. It was... Um, I have no idea what this what this houseindustries.com place does. And I wanted to track that person down and say, I won. Right. You remember the website address. Yeah, exactly. I won. At some point, you are going to go on it. And you can say that my ad didn't look right or whatever, but you remember that address. And yeah, that... That it so it went from being this thing where I would get really depressed about it to being like okay that's funny, um, and uh, and it, the 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 guys at House have to have this really kind of well it's not, it's not just men men and women um, and House have to have this really sort of twisted sense of humor and a really thick skin. I remember um, this great illustrator who works there, Chris Gardner. Um, I don't think he's full time now, but uh, Chris was there when I was there. He's just amazing and he's completely self-taught just the guy is just incredible he can draw in any style you want um just flawlessly and i remember he did one year we 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 did these postcards um and this was in andy's mid-century modern phase and uh chris drew this interior with like an eames chair and all this stuff and a christmas tree in the background and all and so they were for sale. And then Chris goes and reads internet comments. I think it was on Speak Up at the time. And there's this one illustrator uh, from New York who just went off on Chris's illustration ability. It was, it was hilarious. Like he was talking about how Chris didn't understand perspective and just on and on and on. And one day uh, I'm sitting at my desk and my desk was right next to, to Chris's and Chris goes, <clears throat> oh, hey, 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 Rich, um, do you have a stamp I could use? And Rich was like, well, yeah, here's a stamp. Why? We look over, Chris has that card and he's found the guy's address at home and he wrote him a thank you note that just said, thanks for all the kind words, Chris. He had oh, put wow. it in an envelope and he <laughs> mailed it to him. That's awesome. It, it was incredible. And, and then Chris never thought about it again. But it was like, you could let that really tear you down or you could just be like okay i'm just gonna keep working because i had to look up who that guy is and he knows who i am um Uh, yeah yeah and you know i honestly in the in the design industry in general i mean designers are obviously ripping each other down one thing that's unique about the sports industry is that everybody is ripping you down (laughs) i mean oh yeah yeah when a brand launches a new identity or even uniforms i mean why does like you know, why does a factory worker across the, you know, the street care about what uniforms look like? 
they'll never wear them. You know what I'm saying? But it's, there's just something about sports that makes people so passionate and it's so tribal and they come in and just rip everything. Yeah. And don't yeah. even understand they're actual human beings behind this stuff, creating it. I, I, I've, I've, I like, well, not so much like, but I don't get bothered by what other designers say about what I make anymore. Um, I'm really, especially with young designers, uh, I'm very open to hearing what they have to say because I'm 43, so I'm an old guy. And there are new voices coming. And I remember being young and saying, well, that old person doesn't know what they're doing. Their ideas are stale. That's fine. I totally get that. Um, and and I, I, I really appreciate younger designers coming in and, and, and saying new stuff. It's, it's when it's just mean. That stuff, it's like, why did you even take the time to do that? Right. Um, but otherwise... The, I, the, I, most I, of the time, they've clearly got something else going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've just gotten so just numb to even caring. Uh, like when I see something that I don't like... I just don't really feel the need to waste my time writing a six paragraph <laughs> critique yeah. of it, you know, because at the end of the day is, are they going to listen to me? I mean, they're already getting slammed as it is. Um, and it's just, what is my, what is my added gasoline going to be? Yeah. And th- this is jumping ahead a little bit. Um, but cause I'm sure you want to talk about this some, but, um, when I made, uh, a, a typeface for, the U.S. Soccer Federation, mm-hmm. they they wanted to make a video about it. And so they interviewed me and they they sent me the video. I can't stand the sound of my voice, as I'm sure your listeners can't stand the sound of my voice by now either. Um, they So they send me the video and, and, I, and they're like, can you just approve this? And so I get my wife and my kids to watch it and they watch it and they're like, it's fine, it's fine. So... Uh, I email U.S. Soccer back and I'm like, okay, it's fine. It's approved. And they're like, okay, it's going live tomorrow. And uh, around midnight that night, they emailed me and they said, we forgot to tell you, don't read the comments. (laughs) (laughs) It was was the day that they were going to announce the new identity and everything. And even they, who they're not graphic designers, they just, they were ready for really, really hateful stuff to be written about the new uniforms and the new crest and the new typeface and the new everything. But you asked why people get so worked up about it. I, I've thought about this a lot. I think it's because for a lot of people, myself included, like the, the U S national soccer teams, I feel this way about, uh, the, the team that you grow up watching and rooting for is almost like a member of the family. So when there's a change, it's, it's like uncle Bob getting a toupee that you don't agree with. (laughs) While it may be good for uncle Bob, it's different for you. And that, that change is often shocking. And because by nature, these, these brand announcements, these, these design change announcements, they have to be sudden um, just because there's, there's a business side to it too. You know, you can't, you can't say, okay, well in a year we're going to have completely new uniforms or we're going to, we're going to have a completely new logo because then people will hold off on buying stuff. And for a lot of organizations that the merchandise sales are a significant part of their operating income. Right. So they can't just say, 
okay, hey, everybody, we're going to change it in six months. It has to be this very sudden thing. So it's like Uncle Bob showing up at Thanksgiving dinner with a new toupee, and you're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and that's why I think that college identities, even be it just the institutional identity or the identity of the athletic department are, are some of the hardest projects. Because oh, yeah. yeah. You, people want it to be what it was when they were there. Right. And there's so right. many generations that have attended this thing. So when they see this change and then, you know, the college is thinking, hey, we need to appeal to the people in the past, but we're really looking for the people in the future as well. So it's like one of the hardest things to do, because how do you how do you get everyone to be OK with it? And unless you had just an absolutely horrendous logo, then then most people are just going to trash it. And, and I, and actually I worked on a, on a division NCAA division three school identity once, and it was a huge ordeal and, and they wanted to do a vote and all these things. And, and I thought it was, uh, I didn't think it was a good move. Um, you just have to, you have to switch yeah, it yeah, and yeah. just go with it. And, and you realize that for probably two weeks, your Facebook comments <laughs> are going to be awful, but then people are going to get used to it. And they're gonna be okay with it. Yeah, you just you have to ride out the storm. And I I I responded to the the, the email from my contact at US Soccer and I said, Hey, just so you know, the type designers, we, we have a lot of, of experience with this. Um, people are really it's not that they're resistant to change, it's just the sudden change that really throws them off. And I, I told him, I said, just know that, that even things like the, the numbers on the back of the shirts, people are going to complain. And uh, I explained, you know, we, we don't do this as much as we used to, but typeface designers used to make typefaces for newspapers. And that's a very specific thing to do because you're making a typeface that it has to perform on a certain press, on a certain type of paper with a certain ink manufacturer in a specific uh, climate, um, because if, if you're making a newspaper in, say, South Louisiana, the paper and the ink are going to behave differently than they would in, say, um, Idaho. Um, it's, it's just going to be different. And so the, the typefaces have to be made to compensate for that. And so when a newspaper changes a typeface or when they would change one, even though you could empirically show that the typeface was better, like you could fit more letters on the page, um, the letters could be recognized more easily, um, it, it allowed for uh, columns of text to have fewer hyphenation uh, um, breaks in it, um, you, all this stuff, you can empirically prove it. But inevitably, the letters of the editor or the letters to the editor for the next three weeks would almost exclusively be about the new typeface and how awful it was and how you should switch back. But what was fascinating during all this is a newspaper would go through a redesign uh, one year and then say five years later, they would go through a redesign. Now, the, again, in the first year that they did it, people would complain, hey, the old typeface was better. This new one is completely illegible. I can't read it. Five years later, when they change it again, 
the one that was apparently completely illegible is now the most legible typeface of all time. <laughs> and it's the new one that is the worst of all time. And so that's, that's what I told U.S. Soccer. I said, you know, this change, even as microscopic as it is, people are going to feel it. And they may not be able to articulate what's wrong, but the real issue is it's just different. And they're not used to it yet. Right. But eventually they will be, and you just have to weather it. And I, I always feel so bad for these um, universities and all that, that get these really nice logos and, and identities and everything. And the brief is always, like you said, it's, it's almost a cliche at this point. It has to look old, but it also has to look new. And that is an incredibly tricky thing to pull off. It's, it's darn near impossible. And, it always just breaks my heart when I see uh, a designer or a team has, has made this perfect logo that somehow manages to look like that old engraving that was on the certificates back in 1921, right. yet still looks good at five pixels tall on, you know, it's just amazing that they pull it off. And then the alumni complain. And then the university backtracks and they keep the new typography, but they put the old symbol in and it, it's just like, oh, yeah. you just had to wait three weeks. Just wait. And then there's a bunch or there's a bunch of money down the drain. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, totally. It's, it's and, and it's just like and then you have people complaining. You spent 90. There was <laughs> so the University of Kentucky. um, I live in the Lexington regions. You're an SEC guy, so you understand this. But I, I um, I'm a Kentucky fan, obviously. Um, th- Nike, their graphic identity group redid the athletic identity for the University of Kentucky, and there was a new letter mark and a new Wildcat. I'm not a huge fan of the new Wildcat. I do like the new letter mark, um, and they they created a, a custom typeface for the athletic department now. So later what happened was a uh, pentagram came in and redesigned like the identity system for the institution. And so basically what they did was they, they, they decided there was a lot of equity in the UK interlocking UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, uh, Kentucky had, the interlocking UK for athletics, and they had this your sort of stereotypical steeple architecture with serif type, right, for the, the actual university. Right, right. So what Pentagram came in and did said, you have all this equity in this UK mark. Let's use that and let's pair it with a type system. So that's what they did. And then, the, and then uh, I think the student newspaper writes a letter or gets a letter writes an article about how they spent $90,000 on this thing, all this stuff. And then of course you get all these comments, $90,000, like, you yeah, know, yeah. people just going crazy. You spent $90,000 on that. That's ridiculous. And, and nobody knows exactly what went on. You know, they don't even know that Nike's the one that even did like the, the letter mark portion that what we're not yeah, even yeah, seeing yeah. a whole, we're not even seeing the system. All we're seeing is this university of Kentucky paired with the, the logo, but we're not seeing the whole, the style guide and everything that goes on behind that these people are going to be using to make everything consistent. And another thing too, is people don't understand, I think economies of scale, like they don't realize that the university spends probably $300,000 a year on toilet paper. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right, right. there's just like an economy of scale thing there that, that they're not understanding that, Hey, cause, cause they just think in terms of salaries, 
right? Everybody just thinks in terms of salaries. Like, well, pay me $90,000 and I'll come there and, you know, and it's like, no, that's not how this stuff works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a much bigger picture to it. And that, that part's always, that, yeah, that's what drives me crazy. But I'm, I'm also on the other side. Like my, my father-in-law is a hardcore LSU football fan. And almost every time I see him, he says, ah, when, when are you going to do something for LSU? Right. Like I, I, I would love to, but it's out of my hands. Yeah. Um, and they also spent a lot of money uh, on all these signs and everything uh, for the athletic department. And then there was a, 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 a brand review that said, hey, let's get rid of the university's uh, 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 logo and all that. And we're just going to use the one that the athletic department has been using. And so now it's, it's literally on everything. I'm like, you know... I would love to make something for, for LSU. I would love to. But I, I also recognize that the amount of money that would be spent on that could also be used for facilities. Um, right. And that kind of thing. So it's, it's this real balance of like how, how far should we go with it just because we don't like something. Um, and I don't think most people understand that. Uh, that, like you said, there's a scale to all of this. And the, the actual design is one part of it, but there's, it impacts a ton of stuff. And they don't really understand how small something is, but how much of an impact it can have. So it's not like you can just go in and tweak it. And if you are changing it, 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 there, a lot of thought has gone into it. Like, like that's, that's what I've, I've said to people. Uh, Cause sometimes I'll have people say, well, what do you think of this new logo? And I'll say, well, a lot of people who are really good thought about it for a really long time. And I think we should trust them, mm-hmm. which is not the answer. Most people want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they want you to say, Oh, I hate it. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what the brief was. I, I don't know. And you don't know what, the bureaucracy that was involved. I mean, these, these oh, schools, yeah, there, yeah. Are, there are, you know, you have 50 people in the room, board of regents, uh, alumni, the biggest donor of the school. I mean, come, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. think about Oklahoma State, T. Boone Pickens. That, I read a book um, about college football and this guy is involved in every single decision that the school makes because he donates so much money to the school. I mean, he essentially owns the school. It's, it's unbelievable. Right, right. Right. And so there's just all of that bureaucracy that's involved in these things. And it's so much easier just to rebrand the mom pop barbecue shop down the street. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. And, and, and yeah, that, that, that's the other thing that, yeah, it, it drives me crazy. Just how easy a lot of people think this is like I've done, I've done projects and it's really only the sports ones that people get worked up about. Like I, I just did, um, uh, a typeface for uh, Martha Stewart living magazine. And I, 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 Martha herself put something on, on Instagram about it. And you know, that, that was great. And I, I ignored all of my senses and thought, well, I will read the comments. And I read the comments and they were all like, this is beautiful. (laughs) <laughs> like, oh, that's 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 lovely. Can I send you a like a box of chocolates or something? Because yeah. that that made me feel so nice. It's the sports ones that that everybody gets so worked up about, and and even 
you know, it doesn't matter what, what happens. It's like people want criticism of it. And I've, you know, we're, we're on one side, but we, we also know what it's like to be on the other. And I've had people come up to me in person and say, well, why didn't you do this on that thing? And they'll, they'll have like a very specific idea. And it's like, well, because we didn't. Right. Because, because there were a lot of things that went into it and that just wasn't an option. And I'm really protective of my clients. So I don't show a lot of like the behind the scenes stuff in public. Mm -hmm. Like I don't show a lot of sketches. I don't show, um, I don't show rejected ideas or anything like that. Cause I think those can, can look bad on the client because so right. Somebody might look at it and be like, well, that client has no taste because this yeah, one is exactly. clearly better. Exactly. This is what happened with the Milwaukee Bucks identity, in my opinion. So yeah. When they relaunched the firm, Double Dan Cartwright, who they've been on the show, they posted some of their sketches and I was like, dude, these sketches are, some of these sketches are amazing. Right. But then yeah. you see what they ended up with. And, and I'm not sure that they, they probably would have pushed for that. Right. But they, and so it's kind of like, is it smart to post it out there? Because they're like, hey, just so you guys know, we see all the criticism and here's some of the other things we were working on to kind of like save yourself. <laughs> but also thinking from the client side, it's like, well, you guys have no taste and you like pick this. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird situation. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm working on a logo right now um, for uh, an entertainment company and uh, I really like how it's going. And I think I've done a lot of really interesting sketches. And so for the first time I, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I might show some of the other ideas. Um, but it all depends on how it ends up because I don't want to come out and say, oh, well, this is what I wanted, but this is what they went with. And because there, there are reasons that go into making those decisions. Like sometimes you'll see, these early sketches of things and, and it's like, well, that physically wasn't possible. Like you couldn't cut that on a decal. Right. You know right. what I mean? Like, like there, or, Oh, well that uses 12 different colors. And the brief said the helmet can only have two. Right. Or this can't be embroidered in a quality way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've done stuff for clothing manufacturers, um, where you know there there are physical requirements of things like stitching machines, and you have to find a way. And it's like I mean I've had people complain like, well, why did you round the corners on that? Like, well, because the stitching machine can't do a right angle. Right, right. And actually, I experienced I experienced this personally. I designed a a, a logo for my son's club, a soccer club, and um, there's like a certain production process where I don't even know what this is, but it's like this kind of soft touch like patch. I guess it's like oh, heat yeah, pressed yeah, yeah. on or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, soccer.com does those. Uh, yeah. That's who they go through. But um, there's, uh, I ordered a hoodie and it was embroidered and they took some of the type and they scaled it up in this one area. And I, I'm like, this doesn't look good. And, but the reality is they can't get into the, they, they can't stitch um, right. you know, embroider yeah. like the bowls of like this tiny, like 2004 or whatever. <laughs> so they had to scale it up. <laughs> Whenever I talk to clients, um, I, I always have this, they, 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 they're always kind of, I think they, they get on the phone with me and they think, okay, well this is going to be just this esoteric discussion. And it is, I like to know 
more abstract about what it is that they want to achieve. So I'll ask questions like, um, what do you want this campaign to feel like? Like, give me an emotional term or several emotional terms. And, and so I, I talk in like these really abstract things like, um, uh, do you want it to feel fuzzy? Um, and that, that's not what the letters are going to look like, but I, I like to know those kinds of details cause I can build in that kind of detail. And then I pivot from that to, okay, let's talk about the machines that are going to be used to, to reproduce this. And they're always kind of stunned and they're like, why does this matter? I'm like, well, because it does, you could say that you want something really delicate and, and precise, but if it's going to be reproduced with thermography, we can't do that. So I have to know how things are going to be printed before I start drawing. Because if you want something dainty and we're using uh, this really brutal printing process, or it's got to be on screen really small, I can get you something that looks delicate, but I have to draw it so that it can handle what, what it's going to be reproduced with. And that's the thing that always gets me when, when you see these like, um, well, this is what I think the Cleveland Browns logo should look like. Um, I picked them because I know they don't have a logo. Uh, right. You know, it, it's always like, but there are so many factors. It's not just drawing. There's... Uh, what does it look know, like on a field? What does it look like on a field? Well, the um, LSU eye sticks out to me on the middle of like the football field. It's like kind of faded in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, How yeah. do you do that, you know, from, yeah, from yeah. a paint perspective? <laughs> I, I remember when I was a young designer, there was one thing that just blew me away. And I, I do you remember who did the FedEx logo? Was it? Um, that was, uh, I think that was Lander? Landor. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember reading um, at the time, it was such a big deal. And it's really stood the test of time. And this, this had to be like 96 or something like that. I remember reading that the reason they painted the trucks white was because it saved fuel. And that just blew my mind because at the time before the redesign, FedEx had like these split, um, like half of the truck was purple, I think. Yeah. And apparently. Is that like like a weight thing? it's it's the 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 cooling and the the it's been i mean it's been what 21 years since i read this so i don't remember exactly but yeah it was it was it was a thing and if you've ever like seen school buses Mm -hmm. from overhead the tops of them are white and it's the same thing and it's it's those little things like I, i think it has to do with you know reflecting the 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 sunlight off um so the, the inside doesn't get as warm. And, but yeah, I mean, it was just like, wow, the color of the identity, like a large part of the identity comes down to a physical thing. That, that just blew See, me that away. makes me like it even more because now you're, you're, we're really getting into strategy and it's, there's a yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. There's a functional aspect to this and it's not about visual design. And, and it, when, when you're talking to people that just don't understand it and they're judging everything based off of subjectivity, that kind of stuff, like when you talk about that, then you can be like, okay, that is why this thing costs millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, not that someone just created something for fun. Yeah, like I'll, I'll have people ask me like, well, how long did it take you to do that? 
like a typeface or whatever. And I respond, well, I'm 43, so 43 years. And they're, they're always like, well, no. And I'm like, no, seriously, because everything that we make is really the summary of all that we've learned before. 100% so, agree. Yeah. And, and it's not like these things are just, you know, the, the, you could sit down and design an identity now and it would be vastly different from one that you would design 10 years ago with exactly the same brief, exactly the same requirements. Everything would be completely different. The only thing that's changed is you. And I think that's really discounted um, when people say, oh, well, why does it look that way? Or, or how long did that take? Or wow, that cost a lot of money. Like, well, you know, the, well, have, have you have you heard the two stories? Um, the one about Picasso sketching in the park. No, no, like, I don't like, think so. So there's a story about, and I don't know how much truth there is to this, but there's a story about Picasso sketching in the park, and someone comes up to them and asks him to sketch them. Uh, this lady, and he sketches her and gives it to her, and and he tells her, you know, this price that you know, during that time period was a, was a crazy amount. So let's just say it's just random here. Let's just say he was like, that'll be $5,000. And she basically says $5,000. That took you five minutes. And he's like, no, it took me my whole life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, it's, it's perfect. And actually there's another one with Paula share when she did the Citibank logo from pentagram. And, uh, you know, she's sitting in a meeting and draws the city when there was that merger. I don't know which two banks it was, but there was a the merger of the banks and she drew the Citibank logo in the meeting on a napkin and then when people criticize her for it what, like well you drew that in the meeting on a napkin and she's like well it took me my whole career to be able to sit here and to ideate like this in a meeting right, on right. a napkin right like yeah, someone that's 20 yeah. years old can't just sit there and all of a sudden now they've just got they can do that yeah and then and then that's the flip side of that is people when they do understand that you can make things and that you have the ability to make them pretty quickly, they think you can just solve everything. It's like with with my family down in Louisiana, and they're like, well, can you fix the LSU identity? I'm like, well, I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. I'm not going to make that judgment um, because it's too complex. The other thing is I'm not involved. And, right. and just because I can make something doesn't mean I can just go knock on a door and just be like, hey, here's a thing. And now you can... Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, I, I run into that sometimes too, where people will be like, "My alma mater, like, can you fix that or whatever?" It's like, no, <laughs> I would. Yeah, and and <laughs> sometimes uh, I get, I'll have designers ask me like, "What do you think of this that they've done?" And it's always a hard question to answer um, because inevitably there are things that I would do differently. Yeah, and and. It's it's not like I can say oh well uh, do this this and this like well, it doesn't it doesn't really work that way you know it's it's a continuum and I, I teach from time to time so I do have to be able to articulate things you know it's it, it's always a little weird when people want your instant opinion on something like well what what do you think and it's like well I I I can't give you that there I don't have an opinion. Like I, it's it's hard to say when uh, you, you you understand how something works and how it's done and all that, like the process of of, of designing things. 
but then to be able to say, yes, I have absolutely no opinion. Like I, I have feelings, but they're just feelings. They're not, they're not an actual critique or anything like that. Um, right. Because it's, there's, for what we do, there's, there's so much of a bigger picture uh, of the strategy and all of that to, to just like dive in and just be like, well, I don't like that cue. Yeah, and, and I think this leads into something I want to talk about. Uh, so, because you haven't seen all the assets and things and how is this thing going to be applied, you're basically judging it based on subjectivity right in the beginning. And before we started recording, I was talking about Gretel and their rebrand of, of Viceland. But one of the beautiful things, in my opinion, about topography is that not only does the typeface itself convey a certain feeling based on its characteristics, but when it's paired with imagery, colors, composition, a typeface can become super flexible in terms of its visual use and supporting a brand. So take Helvetica, for example, right? Obviously, this is an overused one, but it's it's used in so many ways and with so many brands, but brands tend to use it and support their own unique voice by pairing it with their own imagery and color. And I think if you think about U.S. soccer before the rebrand, which I definitely want to discuss next, they use your typeface United for their 2014 identity. And with that identity, you can see that they sort of paired it and created this visual language um, that sort of makes them unique in comparison to say all these college football teams that are using it in their social media imagery. So can you talk a little bit about that in terms of the value of typefaces and branding and how a typeface, the same typeface used with different brands can sort of convey different identities and, and meanings? Yeah, the, you, you touched on this early on when you talked about how uh, some typeface designers can be a bit uh, messianic about their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm much more laid back about it. I think it's because of my background in, in graphic design and before that, you know, when I, I really wanted to work in animation, there are just so many things that, that contribute to uh, an animated film, you know, there are literally millions of drawings. So uh, through that process, I learned, well, one drawing isn't going to make or break a film. Um, but the cumulative effect of everything is, is really important. And when, when I'm working with clients, I want to know stuff like what colors are you using? Um, uh, when I'm doing stuff for magazines, uh, I love, when it's more of a collaborative process. Like I have a few clients I do this with um, where they'll come to me with just sort of this vague idea of what they want and they don't know what the typeface is going to look like. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but they have an idea of what kind of photography they're going to use or how much white space they want on a page. And we go from there. And so I look at the typefaces as a piece of the bigger picture. Um, And... uh, it's, it's even more uh, that way when it comes to something like uh, a, a large brand identity um, in sports because there's so much that goes on in, in it, even away from the visual aspect, like how the, the team ownership uh, interacts with fans. That can change the way uh, a, a team is perceived. Um, even though that's one person interacting on behalf of hundreds of other people who work for that, that 
same team. And so that there's so many things that go into it. And I always try to keep that in perspective when I'm working. Like I never think that I'm going to be able to design a typeface that just makes everything perfect. It's not going to happen. Uh, I, I make tools and I can make very specific tools that, that solve very specific problems, but the problems that I'm solving are never the, the final thing. They're never the, big issue that's trying to be solved. They're just a piece to it. Um, and they're, they're ultimately a tool to, to get to that solution. And that's how I think about it. And, and so that's, that's sort of the, the wonderful ambiguity of typefaces is you can take United and use it uh, on a camo background and it suddenly looks very military. Or you can use it, um, you know, in LSU's case, uh, in gold on a purple background, and suddenly it's the most LSU thing ever. And it's that way with so many typefaces. And that's what I love about what I do, is how do I build something that has a very specific voice, but also doesn't get out in front too much? It's, it's kind of like... It's, it's, see, this is where I get really esoteric about this stuff. It's, I, I, I don't think, like, the main job of a typeface is obviously to, to convey some information. But the second part of that is that it has to convey information with a specific tone or a voice. And that's how I think about typefaces. I don't, I don't think about what they look like in the beginning. I think about what, they're going to feel like and like what they're going to sound like. So when somebody reads a headline that's in this typeface, it needs to be drawn. Does the voice need to, that, that, that is used to convey that headline, does it need to be authoritative? Does it need to be goofy? Um, does it need to make it seem like it's not a reputable uh, source giving you the information? All of those things are, are really important. But ultimately, it's just one piece of it, um, right? If you if you look at um, so let's just take like United for example. Uh, United is I I I tend to honestly refer to United as the Helvetic of of sp- the sports industry because it's like become the default. I mean, people that there's a lot of people that design in sports that have never. They're not educated in design, I guess. Maybe they're a marketing person that works for a right. college team. They don't have a budget for a designer and they just look around and see what's out there and oh, like this looks cool. Let's design this. And they see other people using it. And so it's it's kind of become the default go-to typeface. I've, I've worked with minor league baseball recently on a project and United was in their style guide. Um, I remember, this isn't sports related, but South by Southwest for a, quite a few years. Yeah, used yeah, it. yeah. Um, um, I used it for the word mark and my makers of sport logo. Uh, you know, that, I don't use it in a whole that context a whole lot, but it's it's there. Um, and then I, I, you probably remember the shirt that I designed, which is kind of an yeah, inside, yeah, yeah. inside joke on the sports industry, the Sports Designers United shirt. And that's one of those things that nobody gets unless you're pretty much a designer. <laughs> yes, and and someone actually sent me one of those shirts, and it is a prized possession. Oh, that's awesome, man! That's awesome. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. There are very few times when a typeface designer. 
like none of none of us really do this for a living um, because we want people to notice us. We're mm-hmm. a very anonymous profession, um, and most of us are pretty shy and, and quiet. Uh, so it's very rare that that uh, one of our works actually gets known as a thing. Yeah. So that <laughs> it's pretty funny and. And United, I, ha- I have sort of a love-hate relationship with. Um, I love that it just kind of took off, um, but I drew it a long time ago. And it's, it's like I said, you could design something now with the same brief uh, that, that you had 10 years ago and it would look completely different. United drives me crazy. Um, there are <laughs> so many things in it that are, I think, wrong that no one else is going to notice, but they drive me nuts. And I have, for the last 10 years, made probably hundreds of pages of sketches of um, what I call the United Killer. And I I want to make a replacement for United, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of like trying to catch lightning. Like, how? How, oh, yeah. how do it's, I do it? Well, well, this is what I think is really cool about it. And I have a friend that kind of makes some typefaces, and he was trying to break into the sports industry and, and do some work. And he started kind of dabbling in creating fonts. And so, you know, he'd ask some of these designers in college sports, hey, can you try this out? He'd just give it to them for free. And they'd start using it, and then someone else would buy it. And then all of a sudden now, his stuff is on the wall in like Alabama or whatever. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, like, for so many people that want to make their mark in an industry. So for me, I wanted to make my mark in the sports design industry, right? Um, well, this podcast is what has done that. It wasn't my work. And I think a lot of designers, there's not many designers. There's a lot of really good designers out there, but there's not anybody that has made the kind of mark that I think you can make when you create some type of asset that the right. designers use, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you think about sports design, who do you think about? For me, it was like, I want people to think about me. Right. And it's the same way with the, like United with this font. Like you are now, whether you purposely wanted it to be or not, but you are forever, you know, basically the type, the, unof- the official, unofficial type designer of sports, you know, like you create yeah, this I, thing. I, I, I say that sometimes when, when I give lectures, I'm like, the, I'm the official typeface designer of sports. Um, and, half the time people laugh half the time they're like wow how did he actually get that title um yeah it's kind of a legacy thing too because your work now this stuff is going to be here forever right i mean that's what and and it's it's weird like with with trying to like i said i i I try to come up with ideas to replace united and it's so frustrating because I'll, I'll start down this path and I'm like, okay, I'll start with this. And I'm always thinking about it from the perspective of the graphic designer. Like, what do they need? And every time I end up with United, like the sketches, I'm like, oh, Jesus, it's just, it's, it's United again. That's not good. And <laughs> it's not different enough. And so it, it just kind of drives me crazy. And I, I, I could look on my hard drive right now and there's a folder called um, Sports Sands and it has like just tons of stuff in it that were started and then just stopped. And some of them are good ideas, but I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not as good as United. It's not as useful as United. So what's the point of making it? So yeah, it, it, I have a real love-hate relationship with it. Um, so let's talk about... The, the the big one here, um, you did 
you've you've done all the support. You've done work in sports before. You were hired by Adidas Basketball, Dick Sporting Goods, uh, a couple other brands, but you'd never done any work for soccer. And right. that's essentially, from what I understand, your favorite sport. Yes, your, your son plays for a club. He's incredible. You sent me a video. Uh, I loved watching it. <laughs> He's the same age as my kid. Um, first of all, you'd never done any work in soccer, and you kind of have a funny story where you offered to do free work for <laughs> your son's club. I'm interested in oh. I think that's a good that's good for other designers to hear. <laughs> Wait, which which one is that? Uh, the uh, the one when. You offered to do free work, and they essentially said, "Like, oh, we already have somebody that's good." Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was pretty great. That yeah, that that story is really funny. Um, I didn't know I'd ever told that story publicly. Um, uh, yeah. So, so for those who don't know, there the the soccer the youth development soccer system in the U.S. is is quite complex, um, and there are different layers to it. So you have your local rec league and you have um your uh teams that will you know typically with a rec league uh they'll play in the same place every weekend and then you have teams that will travel to other places in the area and they'll play and then in baltimore the 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 level above that is called the club level and then at the club level the next step up is what's called an academy and this is the the step between the national teams and the professional level and that club level. Um, so the, the, the clubs are where the kids go and they have a regular team and they travel to tournaments and, and all this kind of stuff. So in Baltimore, we were getting a new academy. And my son is really serious about, about soccer and his coaches have said uh, he's going to play in the academy system. And I, I'm not athletic at all, so it's all an amazing surprise. Um, and my son is totally in control and he gets to do whatever he wants. So I'm not like the pushy soccer dad. Um, so I start thinking, okay, well, everybody's telling me that, that my son's going to play for this academy team. I don't want to spend six years watching him play wearing numbers and a logo that drive me crazy. <laughs> I, did the, I did the exact same thing. <laughs> so, so I reach out to them literally the day the Academy is announced. I reach out and I email. I'm like, hi, my name's Tal Limming. I'm a typeface designer. Um, I've done stuff for the NFL, for the NBA, uh, NHL. Like I listed everything. And I was like, here are links to my work. I, I was, you know, I, I don't think what I do is important, um, but I was trying to get across, like, I actually know what I'm doing. And so I sent, I said, you know, I, I would love to help out with, with the logo and, and anything I can help with. And, you know, since you're the local youth team and I really support youth soccer and the development system and all, I, I you know, I'd be happy to ha- work with you on the price on this. And, by work with you on the price, I mean, do it for free. Right. Um, I didn't add the part where I was like, I know you're going to make an ugly uniform and it's going to make me mad while yeah. I watch my son play. <laughs> um, so so I, I spent like half a day writing this email and it was so delicate because I, I was trying to strike the right tone of like, I know what I'm doing versus sounding like I'm bragging because my grandmother would come down from heaven and beat me up if I ever bragged about anything. Um, so I send it and literally, literally less than 30 seconds later, I get a reply that says, uh, essentially, thanks for writing. No, we're good. <laughs> and 
I was like, you, and you know, I used to pay attention to like the stats on my website. So I go and I check the stats. I'm like, you didn't even look. You didn't even check my credentials. That's funny. And, and so, so then when I did this stuff for U.S. soccer, I, I tell my son's coach, because it was all, it was very, very secretive. Mm-hmm. And my son's coach had started to figure it out because when they interviewed me, they wanted soccer in the background or something that related to me being a soccer dad. So right. I arranged with my son's club to, to shoot it in one of their facilities. And so Andrew, the head coach, was kind of looking at me like, something weird is going on. You have a film crew from U.S. soccer talking to you about typefaces. And then they told me I had to leave the room. And, you know, so so he, he knew something was going on. Yeah. So as soon as it is announced, I'm like, okay, Andrew, this is what I couldn't tell you. And so he writes back and he's like, whoa, this is crazy. And so I said, um, hey, you know, so-and-so that you grew up with, um, remember when I told you that they completely blew me off when I offered to do something for free? Could you tell them about this? <laughs> the sweet and he was revenge. Like, he was like, I will. I was like, no, 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 I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I don't ever want to seem like I'm bragging. But yeah, that, that was pretty funny. And yeah. Well, well yeah. there was a, so there was a school in Lexington that did that rebranded or it was actually, I'm sorry. It was a brand new high school, brand new high school. And they come out with, uh, um, it's Frederick Douglass high school and they're, um, what are, oh, they're the stallions. Um, well, first of all, people got pissed because stallions are obviously male horses. Um, right. So there was like a whole issue with that, but the logo, uh, there was like the whole po- political issue with that. But but the logo itself was a stock photo. <laughs> it was a stock photo <laughs> illustration that they had changed the colors of. And so I was like, well, since they're getting all kinds of crap for the sort of gender neutral area of the logo, maybe I can do this part that really ticks me off and reach out to them and be like, let's do something actually custom that like. 60,000 other high schools probably won't have. Uh, right. So I reached out to the guy and I'm like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a designer. I work in, you know, exclusively in sports and I've worked for this and this. And, and honestly, like I named for that one, I kept it local, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, just to kind of like align with them a little bit. And then the guy was like, thanks. And like, that was it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> dude, that's when you start to realize that your worth as a designer is really like no one really cares <laughs> yeah 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 it, it was they don't yeah, care it, until they do care like when they yeah, launch a logo yeah. right but let's talk about this this actual project with u.s soccer so you know you you, you get this letter or this email from u.s soccer um, well well there's there's a bit of background to it so um when they were using united they they started using it um in uh, the lead up to the uh, 20, oh gosh, I'm having a senior moment. Um, I remember seeing something about 2014. The, the, the 2014 World Cup. Yeah. yeah. I had to do math in my head. Um, they start using United in the lead up to that. And they're using it on everything. It's like on the bus that they're using to go from the hotel to to the, the field, like the training field. Um the the names on the lockers in the locker rooms are typeset in United and it just it I lost it because my son was getting really into soccer at the time and mm-hmm. he was at the point where he really liked uh, or he was starting to to recognize 
players and their playing styles and all. And um, I, I've never, I, well, in his uh, lunchbox, uh, I would draw pictures of U.S. national team players on post-it notes and I would put them in his lunch and he would like tell me like, uh, I want Donovan, um, or I want Beckerman mm-hmm. or I want Clint, Clint Dempsey, which was what he <laughs> Clint, called Clint, Clint Dempsey, Dempsey for a long time. That's awesome. Um, and so I would, I drew pictures of Clint Dempsey and would put him in his, in his lunch. And so it was like a major thing in our house. And then boom, there's United all over everything. And I freaked out. And U.S. soccer's been really good on social media uh, with posting photos and everything. Mm-hmm. So I just started grabbing pictures just for my own, like, I don't know, my own digital photo album of memories. And I, I just kept posting so much about it on Twitter that uh, eventually somebody was like, dude, this is getting annoying. And there's this website called Fonts and Use. And mm-hmm. so I wrote to them and I was like, hey, um, would you be interested if I wrote something about this? And they were like, oh yeah, go ahead. So I wrote this crazy fan letter and it basically ended with, I'm really glad you're using this, but if you ever want me to make something just for you, you know, let me, give me a shout. Right. So I, I got an email from um, a designer at Stone Ward, uh, Emily um, there, who handles all of the, the, or she's like the point person for U.S. Soccer's um, branding there. Mm-hmm. And she was like, are you serious? And I was like, first off, everything you're doing is amazing. Second off, do you know Michael Bradley? <laughs> Third, thank you for using United. And fourth, um, yes, I'm absolutely dead serious. And she never replied. And I spent two years thinking that the email had been lost and my one chance was gone. And, and then... Out of the blue, I got an email from somebody with a ussoccer.com uh, email address saying, hey, we want to talk to you. Uh, and I was like, okay, um, is this about my son? Um, yeah, <laughs> because, no, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, because you're like, yeah, and at that I stage. didn't know what it was. And so I get on the phone and uh, it took us a while to get the conference call set up and I'm on the phone and they're like, so we might be interested in having you work on something. I'm like, well, what? And they're like, we can't tell you. Like, okay. Um, it's hard for me to say yes or no. And so they were like, well, it's going to be something related to what you do. We're just wondering if you'd be interested in working with us. So I'm like, yeah, sure. And I said, okay, well, we have a non-disclosure agreement you're going to sign. And I'm, I'm used to non-disclosure agreements. And this one, was the scariest one I've ever seen. It had an actual, usually, usually the non-disclosure is just basically like, we will sue you into oblivion if you leak anything. Right. Um, I've done a lot of stuff for movies and they're particularly crazy about them. And like I had one that, that listed the, the, the length of the contract as until the end of the known universe. (laughs) Like that was literally in the contract. And and uh, so, uh, you know, I'm used to these things. But this one, I was like, whoa, if I, I leak anything, they will basically own me forever. And I, I, I spent about 30 and minutes. Probably, if, yeah, they probably, you probably also ruined your son's soccer career. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that also. Um, well, that, that was the funny thing. So um, before I knew anything, um, 
about uh, the project, I told Michael, I said, hey, Michael, I'm going to talk to somebody at U.S. Soccer today. I think they want me to do some work for them. And we were walking to kindergarten, and um, our, our, and he was like, oh, really? And I said, yeah, is there anything you want me to ask him? And he said, yeah, ask him if Michael Bradley got my letter. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it was a bit weird. So I get on the phone and they talk to me about the non-disclosure and I think about it for a while and I'm like, you know, what do I have to lose other than everything I own? Um, I want to know what this is. So I signed a non-disclosure and it took them like two weeks to get back to me. And finally they're like, okay, we're doing a new crest and we're doing new uniforms and we want a typeface. And I'm like, okay. Um, did you, Michael Bradley get my son's letter? And they were like, what? And I was like, my, my son told me to ask if Michael Bradley got his letter. And they were like, did you send it to Toronto or to us? And I was like, he sent it to Toronto. And he's like, yeah, he didn't get the letter. Um, <laughs> send That's it to funny. us. We'll get the, we'll get the letter. Yeah. Can we talk about the project now? <laughs> okay. Um, so they, they outlined the whole thing. They, they sent me the brand guide that Nike had developed. Um, and it was one of those things where they then said, well, what do you think? And I was on the spot. And like I said earlier, I don't, I, that's a really uncomfortable place to be because we're all different and we're all going to do things differently. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Nike did what they did and I would do what I do. And, and they were like, well, what would you do? And I said, well, I need to know more. And so we talked through it a little bit and they said, okay, well, Nike's developed this typeface but we we've been using United, and we want you you to make something that's as flexible as United. And that was that was re- that became my brief. They liked what Nike had done, and this goes to the bureaucracy thing that that we were talking about earlier. Just the, the number of layers of approval that that have to go into these things. So they said, you know, this you can't go too far away from this. Um, and I said, that's, that's fine. I can totally do that. Um, but there will need to be some structural changes to make it, you know, versatile and, and as flexible as United. So that became my brief. I don't go too far away from how this looks, but make it work as well as United. And we went back and forth for a while. Um, just working out how much it could change, um, how, it related to the new crest and the non-disclosure uh, system was so specific. I couldn't see uniforms. I saw the crest. I saw, um, I saw Pantone colors. Um, I saw photography styles. I think I saw photography style. It, it was, I, I had this very limited number of things that I could see. And I would ask for things like, can I see the uniforms? And they would say, nope, you can't see the uniforms. And I would say, I'll sign another non-disclosure. And they said, no, there, there are firewalls in place on all this stuff. Um, and so I kind of had to work in isolation and I forget how long I worked on that. It was like six months or something. And I couldn't show it to anybody. And that was really scary. Um, because I couldn't, I couldn't ask my colleagues like, Hey, do you think, this lowercase g is working, which type designers do a lot. We bounce things. We're a very small community. And so we bounce things off of each other a lot. And 
I couldn't do that. All I had was my contacts. It's U.S. soccer. And they were acting as a translator between me and the graphic designers that were working with it. I never had any direct communication with, with actual graphic designers. Uh, so I didn't know what colors the uniforms were going to be, um, anything like that, which actually ended up making my job both harder and more clear. Uh, so like for the uniforms, I didn't know uh, if they were going to be uh, dark blue um, or if they were going to be uh, a light blue or what. I, I didn't know. So thinking back to school and um, color theory class and all of that, you know, I'm sure everybody remembers these exercises where you take um, a white circle and you put it inside of a black, larger black square, and then you take a black circle and you put it inside of a white square, and the the white is going to look smaller than the black. Uh, it's it's just an optical illusion mm -hmm. with our eyes, and so I was like, I don't know what color the uniforms are going to be, so I will draw graded weights for them and tell them you pick which one looks the best on the uniform and that just blew people's minds they were like so do we have to like get you to approve which font we're using for a jersey and i was like is that possible <laughs> sure yeah i'll do yeah, that yeah <laughs> and 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 so it, it was it was this real back and forth but mostly me just guessing about things and trying to figure out like what are they going to need and that's that was really the biggest thing was figuring out where the typeface needed to work because it's not just the jerseys it's not just uh the media guides that they hand out which are just ultra packed with statistical information um you know you have a jersey and it has one number on it uh, but they wanted it to look the same as the numbers in the, the media guide. And that, that became a, a problem that I could latch onto as a designer and knowing that it was going to be part of a bigger system. Um, even though I couldn't see the parts, it just became like, okay, how do I go in and make sure that I'm giving all of the designers exactly what they need and any time for any particular situation. And I sort of reverse engineered from the perspective of a graphic designer, like, okay, I've got to make headlines, I've got to set body text, um, I, uh, I've got to have uh, the at symbol work in both email addresses and uh, social media handles. Um, the number sign is going to be used next to a number like goal by number 10, Christian Pulisic. Um, but it's also going to be used for hashtag, uh, one nation, one team. Um, so that symbol has to do double duty in it. So uh, I, I started to build these rules and, and this checklist of things that, that the typeface needed to do. And I just went from there and it was, it was just a flat out sprint for months just making this thing work and do it and I didn't really see it all put together until 
right before the launch, I saw the uniforms when everyone else did. Um, yeah, so it was it was an interesting process. Yeah, well, that's, it's really cool. Actually, so it, this is kind of another one of those legacy things. I mean, you've you've now designed this thing that, you know, not to jinx it, but sort of dream come true. Your son's dream come true. Like, what if he wears this one day? You know, this is incredible, oh, uh, yeah. right? I mean, it's yeah, awesome. no, no, that that totally freaks me out. And I, I you know, we were talking about designing things for 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 teams that we love. It's really a double edged sword um, because, and I, I was really, I was really upfront with U.S. Soccer when I did this. I said, you know, I'm I'm not the very beginning of the process. I said I'm not going to learn anything that's going to make me not want to watch the national team anymore, right? Right. <laughs> and and they were like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Well, I've done stuff for clients, and once you see behind the scenes how things work, it changes the right. way you look at things, and you can't love it the same way." And I really love the national teams the men's and the women's and, and watching the, the kids go through the development process. It's amazing. And I said, I, I don't want to lose that. And if, if doing this project means that, that I will lose that, then I, I'm, I'm probably not going to do yeah, it. Yeah. It's the never meet and, your heroes thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and they were really cool about it. They said, well, uh, I know some other sports can be interesting behind the scenes, but for the most part, us soccer is run by people who love the sport and is played by people who love the sport and all of us want our teams to get better. Have did you and, ever uh, did you ever go to the US soccer house? No, I haven't been yet. So I, you have I, to I, go, I, man. I went this past summer. They they actually just hired their first ever in-house graphic designer. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. If you haven't met them I'll send you, I can send an introduction email. Uh, he's a good dude. His name's Will. He actually played in like the Seattle, like in an academy in oh, Seattle. Yeah. He played, he grew up with Jordan Morris. Um, yeah, I had heard that they had hired somebody. I can't remember if I've gotten an email from him or not. Um, yeah, I'll have yeah, to put you in yeah, touch, man, because he took me around up there and dude, it was, it was amazing just seeing like the gold cup trophies and all, like Nike had these little like, uh, almost like transformer artwork, like transformers oh, yeah, yeah. made out of like soccer boots. <laughs> yeah. It's, it it's so gotta cool. be just like this weird utopia, but also like, like I was saying the, the double edged sword of it all is when now, when I watch the games, I'm so nervous that the typeface is going to cause problems on the field. I, I'm just terrified. Like, you know, the, as we speak, the men's national team is having a bit of um, a challenge qualifying for the World Cup, and I take some of the responsibility. Like you, you don't, you don't want your typeface to be associated <laughs> yeah, with the yeah, year we yeah, didn't qualify. You know, it's, it's terrifying. Like I, I, I worry that that after a game, Michael Bradley's going to be being interviewed, and he's going to be like, "Well, you know, Timmy." He was a little too far left on that goal. He was sucked out of position because he was looking at the number on the back of Omar's jersey. And man, that that number is just so <laughs> ugly and distracting that that he he just got sucked too far over and he was too close to the near post that left the back post open. And you know, what are you gonna do except really hate the guy who made the tight <laughs> It might be a little extreme. I do have an actual functional example of this though. So the um 
the the creative director for team sports at Under Armour came on this podcast early on a couple of years ago. His name's Adam Clement, um, and and he there was a there was a a point where he, they had designed he had designed some uniforms for his his staff him and his staff had designed some uniforms for the University of South Carolina, and uh, I want to say they were like military themed or something. Mm-hmm. And he got to the game. They came out to start warming up, and he said he was standing on the sideline, and he immediately noticed that you basically could not see the numbers. Um, right, right. So they, yeah. they, um, he was like, he starts freaking out. Right, uh, refs, they're not going to be able to see the numbers. You know, they need to be able to see the numbers. Um, and uh, and South Carolina, they went and changed uniforms, and it was like this sort of crazy pivotal oh, moment of like, man. man, this is just brutal. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I, I think. I don't think you have to worry about that. I think you're going to be good. But I will say like one thing for me in the U.S. soccer, the new U.S. soccer branding, and obviously things grow on you and, and the new crest has grown on me. The only thing is that um, I, uh, I coach, I'm a, I'm a licensed coach with USA Basketball and with have uh, some of the lower level licenses for U.S. soccer. And so when I transition between sports, right, um, and I'm wearing like the apparel, I really wish there was some type of identifier on the U.S. crest for soccer. You know what I'm saying? It would be that a soccer ball or even just the word soccer. Because like if I'm switching gear and stuff like that and say I walk, for, say I go from like coaching soccer into basketball, and this is just a, a designer nerd thing. It's not that big of a deal. But it's like if I'm wearing, I can't wear like a U.S. soccer crest to coach basketball. It just feels weird to me. You know, I have to be right, like right. sports specific. And, and the only thing is, is like, um, it, what, so here's an example. Like my, my son went to a basketball camp and my wife put on like the U.S. soccer crest logo shirt on him. And I'm like, he can't wear that. Like it's, he's going to basketball camp and it's like, well, it's just a USA. It just says USA. I'm like, yeah, but I know that it's USA soccer. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't put it, work. Putting... Put <laughs> This is going to open a whole can of worms. <laughs> um, putting a ball on the the crest is always such a tricky thing, and I, I wasn't involved in the crest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw the crest after it had been approved and everything. And uh, when when I was talking to to US Soccer on that that conference call when I first got to see things, and they sent me the PDF while I was on the phone with them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just talk about being put on the spot. Um, they're like, "What do you think of the crest?" And <laughs> and I I said, "I can honestly tell you, I I you know I, I'm I'm very guarded in what I say about things like this because again, I don't know the brief. Um, so I'm just going to tell you how I feel as a fan, and I love this. I think it's perfect. And they I think they said something like." are you okay that it doesn't have a ball in it? And I said, well, the old one had a black and white dotted ball. And the only places those balls show up are in advertisements on TV for like insurance and antidepressants. I don't even know where you get a ball that has the black and white patches anymore. They're all in a prop house somewhere for advertising. So no, I'm, I'm glad you got rid of the ball, but I see what you mean. Like it, it doesn't, uh, and that, that was one of the criticisms, like, well, it could just be for the U.S. Olympic team. Right. And I get that, but I liked it. Well, it's, 
it's one of those things too where I think that you don't have to be so, because I used to do a lot of work for a lacrosse company and every single, there's different contexts to this. So every single lacrosse logo that we did for every tournament, they were like, let's throw like a stick and a ball on there. And I'm like, we don't have to do that every single time because the context that this is going to be used in is only for lacrosse. So right, there's right. going to be accompanying, accompanying imagery involved that is all across. And so I'm sure that that's what they were thinking with, uh, yeah, with and this. I, I wasn't involved with the strategy, um, from Nike or anything like that, but I, I, my hunch is that the idea was that over time, um, it would come to be associated with us soccer, um, specifically just because of the surrounding context. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you give a certain number of years to that. Um, and it, it just becomes a thing. Right. And that, that, that was one thing that, that, I, that I was really pleasantly surprised by um, was the, the reaction to all of that stuff was generally very positive. Um, there, there was only one negative thing, and it was someone accusing, because this happens every time, uh, the logo of being ripoff. Oh yeah, I remember um, that. Yeah. Yeah, and and like some there little was league a, team or something. Yeah, I my non-disclosure. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I I don't know what happened with that um, officially. Uh, so I probably shouldn't say anything. But it, it was it was it was kind of frustrating to just see that criticism. But ninety nine percent of it was this is such an improvement. And I thought there was going to be a big negative reaction because we see it so much. Just mm -hmm. the, why did you change? And in that case, it, it, it worked out really well. And I love seeing, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm an, I'm a soccer nerd and um, I grew up playing rec level with, is today's rec level and mm -hmm. I wasn't very good but we or at least I had this belief that you know I'm playing against kids who are better than me and I remember there was this one kid in in um, Louisiana um, his name was uh, Sean DeBird and we played against him and he was great he was so good and I had to mark him in a game and and I I went into that game I remember being a senior in high school thinking this kid is going to destroy me. I know he's going to, he's going to uh, get past me. I know he's going to score goals, but I'm not, I'm going to go in and I'm going to give him the toughest game I can because that will make him just incrementally better. Um, even though I'm not very good, I can go out and push him and, and make him grow and he may not be a national team player, but he may end up playing against somebody who plays against somebody who plays against somebody who plays against somebody who does make that jump. And that's the thing that I love about soccer in the U.S. is there, there is this overarching belief that, that we're all working on this together. We're not the number one soccer nation in the world. Um, I guess technically we are the number one soccer nation in the world because it's what us in Australia that call it soccer. Um, nothing yeah, I against think, Australia. I think Canada calls um, it soccer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so nothing against those countries, but um, but in terms of football, we're probably not number one. Um, but we want to get there, 
and there are plans for it. And that's, that's what I tell my son. I'm like, you know, he, he wants to play for the national team. And I say, well, that would be amazing. It would be, I don't know how I would react to that. Um, because it's such an abstract thing and it's such an honor to play for the national team. Mm -hmm. But I tell him like, but you go out and you work as hard as you can. And even if you don't make it, the ripples in the pond will have an effect on somebody who will. And that's amazing. And we're all trying to do that together. And so that's why I got so goofy and I get so worked up about this particular project is because I, I see these kids um, in the academy system and, and on the youth national teams and they're wearing numbers that I drew. Mm -hmm. And I see kids walking out of my, my kids' elementary school and they're wearing national team jerseys with their names on the back. And it's like, that's cool. That's, that, that's amazing. And that's what I wanted to do the project for was to just, you know, nudge things not that a typeface is going to win a world cup or anything like that but it's what i do and it's what i could contribute i can't go out and kick a ball i can't coach but i can draw some letters right and maybe that incrementally pushes something forward just a little bit by giving them more visibility more kids whatever well, that's, I think that's a, a great place to wrap up because that essentially, in a nutshell, is a, almost a piece that I try to tell a lot of these designers that are working in sports that listen to this in that we're not doing things as important as you know curing cancer, but we're doing things that, in a, in a small way, add up to to some really cool stuff. You know, you're, you're stamping, yeah. whether that's stamping your mark on the visual apparel or or social media or identity in the history books of a particular school or team or you're designing identities themselves or you're designing fonts and i think that's the beautiful part about being a sports designer uh so listen tal i really really appreciate you taking time to come aboard um i'd like to just kind of give you an opportunity to tell listeners where they can find out more about you follow you on twitter and and if you have some typefaces for sale where they can purchase those um, so I'm just type supply one word on Twitter and Instagram. I'm scared of Facebook, so I'm not on Facebook. Um, and my website is typesupply.com. And, um, if you want to see the typefaces that I'm working on, I use them in my son's highlight videos. <laughs> That's how I test them out. <laughs> I wondered if you designed those when I watched the, the, the one. Yes, that is the condensed version of, uh, of, of my typeface Balto. Nice. <laughs> Nice. I like it. Leveraging, leverage your following to get, it's like a vice versa thing. Leverage your following to get him more looks and then le leverage his looks eventually to get you more, <laughs> more fun. Hey, hey, designs. the soccer thing's his job. I'm just a pro. <laughs> I hear that, man. I can empathize with that. Well, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks again. My next guest is going to be Marissa McLean. Marissa is a senior designer and brand specialist for the Boston Red Sox. You can check out some of her work, her and her team do, at RedSoxCreativeServices.com and follow her on Twitter at Marissa McLean. Big thanks again to Tal Lemming for taking time to come aboard the podcast. As he mentioned, you can follow him online at Twitter at Type Supply. 
And also check out his work or find out where to purchase some of his fonts at typesupply.com. If you're interested in hearing more from Makers of Sport, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out all of the interviews and to listen to some of the original halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. Halftime episodes since episode 65 have been available to paid community members only. So if you want to support the podcast and access additional content, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community, where you'll have access to private Q&As with future former and special guests, Google Hangouts, as well as interact, share feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. All community content is recorded and available at any time you join, including the private Q&As. In addition, community members get an opportunity to take part in the High School Project, a pro bono branding project that we are taking part in for underfunded high school athletic programs around the U.S. Currently, we are working on selecting a school to design their new athletic identity. Uh, We have a few schools on a list in Houston, which we think will be a very good time after the hurricane to find a school that's going to have to order all new equipment anyway and really needs a a push uh, just to do a little bit extra, something that we can offer that can help them out. More on that particular initiative can be found in episode 75 called Donating Your Creativity. If you do get value from the content coming from this podcast and its outlets in social media, newsletters, or other areas, then I ask that you do please consider supporting the show fiscally by voting with your hard-earned dollars and joining the community. In exchange for that fiscal support, there will always be ever-changing premium content and a network of like-minded and professional business-savvy creatives in the sports industry ready for you to interact with. In regards to the newsletter, you can get podcast show notes delivered directly to your inbox as well as receive Weekend Reads, a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share the things I'm reading, things that I find interesting, or articles, books, etc. that inspire me. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified of upcoming guests. By going to makersofsport.com slash email, just enter your email address to stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes. Hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. Especially those of you that don't happen to support the show fiscally, all support matters. This matters just as much writing reviews. So if you've gotten value for myself or any of the guests that come on the show, then please go rate the podcast and write a review so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings in Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast app you happen to listen in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on social media. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week.